Hello and welcome to the RPG Academy podcast presents Detention Live. Uh, my name is Michael and I'm joined as always by my co-host Chris, uh, who just came back from a very long uh, camping trip. I'm sure we'll hear, hear about it in extracurricular. This is our second take. I just realized after about half an hour that I was muted and uh, my audio wasn't being picked up. So yay. Uh, so we're going to do more of a truncated beginning and we're going to jump into things a little bit quicker than we did on take one. Uh, but I do want to give you a couple minutes, Chris, to talk about your camping trip and what you've been up to, buddy. Uh, the camping trip was great. We went up to uh, Isle Royale, which if you're not from Michigan or potentially Canada or parts of Minnesota, you've never heard of, but it's a the largest island and the largest lake in the world. It's just okay. off the coast of Canada and Michigan. Uh, nine days canoeing, backpacking from place to place. Uh, a lot of fun. I'm very sore. Uh, got to see a moose up close. It surprised me while I was uh, using the restroom. Uh, Every time you say that, I, the, um, the Queen song, seen a moose, seen a moose. <laughs> and you fandang- I know those aren't the lyrics, but that's what I hear yeah. in my head. Uh, so it was a lot of fun. It was really neat because my wife has never done a trip like that. And it's the first time I've done a trip with that, like that without kids. Hmm. So it was nice to not hear, are we there yet? My feet hurt. This pack is heavy. Why do I have to carry that? Um, it was just nice to, to do that. And, you know, one of the adults did make that joke. And uh, when we got to our campsite, we threw him in the lake and said, no. <laughs> and nobody made that joke again. So nice. it was a lot of fun. Uh, what have you been up to? Uh, not a whole lot. Uh, catacomb plans are still full swing. Uh, paying off a lot of bills. I'm still negotiating with the DCC. They've changed their pricing structure pretty dramatically. Um, so I think actually I have a call scheduled tomorrow to maybe try to finalize a few things. Um, so I'm a little bit, honestly, a little bit worried about it because I think it's going to be higher than I was budgeted for. Plus with yeah. the COVID thing and, and Delta, I'm, I'm kind of scared that as we get closer, like, you know, that we may have to cancel it. Like, I, I don't think we will. I don't want us to, but it might not be in the right decision. So um, there's just a lot of factors with that right now. Um, I decided not to go to Gen Con. A lot of different reasons for that. One is just money because, again, the catacomb budget scares me. Uh, so I may need a little bit of room on my credit card. I am going to be going to Sin City Con, though, in September, running a lot of Action 12 Cinema playtests. I uh, should be getting my first edits back on that book pretty soon. I'm very excited to see what Tracy thinks of it. And, you know, in my mind, I want to maybe go to Kickstarter later this year or certainly early next year. And I'll be mm-hmm. interested to see if they agree or not. Um, part of me is yeah. excited to hear what they have to say. Part of me is dreads that they'll be like, this is nowhere near where you think it is. You know, so uh, there's a lot of anxiety around that as well. Uh, and then I have a kidney stone, maybe, or maybe already passed. I don't know. I had a, a attack a few days ago. <laughs> I've had a bunch of them, so I'm kind of familiar with how it works. But that's there is an unknown factor to them because you have the pain, and then the pain stopped. Is it because I passed it, or is it just because it's now moved and it's in a place that doesn't cause pain, which means it could just start causing pain at any moment? Uh, and I, I have read this would be my third kidney stone in about the last eight months. Uh, I have read that one of the side effects of that surgery I had, the the gastric bypass, is that it can cause them to happen more frequently, and I already have them a lot, so that is kind of worrisome. Yeah. Uh, so I'm I'm on some new medications. They're they're over the counter, but I did talk to my doctor first, and they said, yeah, it's this is similar enough to a prescription. Go ahead and try it, see if it works. So fingers crossed, it it helps. 
All right. So, we're, so, yeah. Thank you. Oh my gosh. I, again, I, I would not wish kidney stones on my my worst enemies. Well, maybe some of them. Just a little bit. I can think of a few. I can think of a few. Uh, so we're going to move quick, quickly. We're going to do a synergy session tonight. So anyone who's unfamiliar, a synergy session is what we called, started calling this like eight years ago, where we take a magic pack of Magic at the Gathering cards. We're going to open them. And in real time, we're going to go through the cards one at a time, working together. Chris and I are going to collaborate and try to build a cohesive story, a, an adventure, maybe a one-shot, maybe a three-shot, maybe a campaign based on what the cards kind of give us. Uh, we might use the card art. We might use the mechanics of the card. We might use the flavor text. Literally, whatever we take from it, however it inspires us, we're going to go. When I, when we start this process, you'll actually be able to see, the, anybody watching the stream, there's a big blank spot next to where I have the chat window right now. That's where the card art will be, so you'll be able to play along. This is our first time using the Forgotten Realms set, which is the new D&D sort of inspired Magic the Gathering set. Um, so I'm kind of curious to see how it goes. Is it easier? Is it harder? Is it more bland? Because sometimes we really have to, like, you right. know, massage our brains and, and try to find interesting ways to make some of these cards work. And I almost worry that these might be so easily applicable that they just become like plug and play, like every time would be similar. But we're about to find out. Um, but mm -hmm. before we do that, I want to take just a couple minutes and talk about sort of our our design philosophy. Both of us have written several one shots. And so mm -hmm. for anyone who's listening, who maybe they've never created their own one shot before, maybe they've not DM'd before they haven't, you know, they've always used uh, like a, a book or, you know, an adventure path, that kind of thing. Uh, what are just two or three tips that you would say to someone when it comes to designing their first one shot? Uh, first, keep it simple. You don't know who's going to be at your table. You can always make the story more complicated but if you write a really complicated story, it's a lot of times harder to back it off. Mm -hmm. I would uh, agree. Let the players develop the story with you, which if you keep it simple, it's easier to do that. Uh, second thing I usually recommend, um, I run a lot of games that are either really quick and easy to make characters or take a long time. Like Star Wars, for example, it can take a while to make a character, especially if you're making five. So I always say double the number of players you want at the table. That's how many characters you should pre-gen. Okay. So I usually have five players. I'll make 10 pre-gens and try to make them pretty wide variety of what character styles they are. And the other thing with the pre-gens, don't fall in love with them. Be willing to change them on the spot. Um, a lot of people like to, well, I want to play a droid that's really sneaky. Well, I usually make the sneaky characters like a Claudite, for example. There's no reason you can't just cross the word Claudite off and write the word droid in place. 100%. You know, the mechanics are already done. Who cares? You don't need to rebuild the character based on the droid template. Just let it go. It's mm -hmm. a one shot. It's going to still be balanced with everybody else at the table. Right. So let it go. At that point, it's just flavor. Uh, and then I always look at kind of my role as a GM at, at conventions is I'm there to facilitate the players telling the story they want to tell and have the fun they want to have. So I don't get married to my story. I don't like, it has to be told this way. I run the same. Uh, well, I've got one particular module I've run seven or eight times. Only once have the, has the group actually gone to the storyline the way I originally <laughs> thought it would be done. <laughs> Sounds about right. Every other time it's, it, it's, some other way to get to the big bad guy or 
I even had it one time where they ended up on a completely different planet fighting a completely different bad guy because mm-hmm. that's just the story they wanted to tell. Right. And I just kind of went along with it. Um, and then the last thing I would say is fall in love with a few phrases. Uh, absolutely is one of my favorites. Uh, my other favorite is it is now because mm-hmm. if they describe something and it wasn't what you thought, oh, it is now. Even if you just tell that to yourself mm-hmm. or say it out loud, it doesn't matter. Uh, it's it's still the yes and it's just not saying yes and right same concept so what right. are some of your your uh, thoughts on them so i i believe it was either matt forback or rodney thompson that said this on twitter and i stole it but it could be also be neither of them i don't remember for sure but when i design a, a one shot i think of it like a dinosaur brontosaurus it's got a small head where you start it's got a big body where the adventure can go and then it wraps back around and it's, it's a small point where the tail is or if you want to think of it sideways like a diamond you have the tip it goes up and then goes back down so i have i want to have a very good opening scene so whether it's in media res and we start with a battle or it's just like a role play scene I want the players playing as quickly as possible. One thing I do not like as a player is when the opening of a game is like 15 minutes DM story time and we get all this background. You know, it, it's great for a story. If I'm reading a book, absolutely give me all the details. If I'm playing a game, within five minutes of that game starting, you know, everybody's got the character sheets, you got the dice out, I've introduced myself. But when they say, okay, it's time to play, within five minutes, I want those players doing things, rolling checks, introducing absolutely. themselves in character. Uh, so I want a very quick and impactful opening that has a very clear sense of direction. Once I'm done with my opening, the player should have something they want to do. If they're looking at me for like, well, what should we do next? I've not done a good job opening. And what they need to do next might be one thing that they can approach multiple ways, or it might be two or three things that they could do. Like, well, we could either do this, we could do this, or we do this. More than that's probably too big for a one shot. You want to kind of keep mm-hmm. them focused. And then once they've done one of those things, it will probably lead them to the next, and then we'll close back down. Uh, I usually have two combat encounters planned. I usually have two role-play encounters planned, but I don't know that I will use any or even all of them or some of them. I kind of keep them in my pocket. And if we're going really fast and I need to slow things down, I might throw in an extra encounter. If we're going really slow, but people are having you know a good time, then I may not pull out either of them and just, you know, luxuriate in what we're doing, what people seem to to enjoy. And then you want a good conclusion. And that can vary differently. Again, you mentioned being on different planets, different bad guys. I'm sure you handled that brilliantly, but you still had an ending. Uh, yep. You know, it's a one shot. There needs to be a beginning, a middle and an end. Uh, so finding some way to reshape and reskin the way the characters have gone but you're still going to have that conclusion that you planned for, even if it looks different, you know, on paper versus what you planned to the players, it's going to be like, Oh, that's what we, that was what was supposed to happen always. Of course it, you know, it's going to be based off of what you came to the table with. So good, strong opening, few options in the middle, but not too many and a good, strong ending. I think those are some key successes in addition to what you mentioned for a one shot. Absolutely. All right. So now we're going to jump into the actual synergy session part. So again, we're going to open a pack of Magic the Gathering cards. We're going to go through them one at a time and see if we can craft an adventure. So I bought three packs of cards. So Chris, would you like the one on my right, middle, or my left? Which one would you like me to open? Uh, let's start with the middle. Middle. Okay. So I'm going to try to pop up the cards when it gets to that point so the, the play, people at home and in the future will be able to see. 
so I think, yep, okay. So I'm gonna try to pop up the image. So give me one second here. Mm -hmm. All right, and if I go here and then do that, there we go. So you should see on your screen now, um, the card's called Unexpected Windfall. It's a red instant card and costs two regular mana, two red. Um, as an additional cost to cast the spell, you must discard a card, and then it allows you to draw two cards and create two treasure tokens. And treasure tokens, I don't know if they're in other sets, I haven't played Magic recently other than this set, but basically they're an artifact that you can then tap and destroy for mana of any uh, color, and it has the uh, flavor text of Fortune Favors the Fortunate. So a couple things that we have here is that you have to sacrifice something to get something greater. So you discard a card, but you're getting, or actually, yeah, you discard a card, but you draw two cards and you get these treasure tokens. The image shows it looks like someone drawing a card and standing on gold and jewels. So I kind of almost like a deck of many things kind of vibe, like you're taking a risk drawing this mm -hmm. card, but uh, this person has come out ahead. So I'll start with you. Do you have any thoughts on how this could be wrapped into an adventure? And again, just very quickly to go over the rules. We don't have to use any of these cards. Like we might go mm -hmm. through three and then the fourth one just doesn't work for us and we can toss it out. Or we may circle back to a card and like, oh, well now based on this card, now that other card means something different. So you're starting in a vacuum. What is this card speaking to you? Uh, uh, some sort of magical, I mean, in the picture has a box, but could be a treasure chest mm -hmm. where you put an item in it and you're going to draw something different out. Could be good, could be bad. We mm, don't know. Okay. Um, I'm not super familiar with the new magic cards, so I don't know what treasure tokens are. But I think it'd be neat if you put something in and then there's a chart or something that the Game Master came up with that, hey, I put my regular sword in and now you roll and mm. poof. Now you pull out two swords or maybe the sword becomes a plus one. Or right. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe it turns into a box of snakes. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, definitely. I, if you ever want your players to get paranoid, I have learned this through the Shadow Spawns campaign, is give them, give them things and make the world treat them good. And they will become so suspicious of everyone because they're so used as players to having the world against them that if like, oh, welcome, come in, have a have a seat at my table and, you know, have some food and wine. Is this poisoned? Are you assassin? Are you trying to kill? Like no one wants to just accept good fortune that it always right. seems like it's it's a setup. Uh, so my thought here is that's kind of what happens is the characters win like a lottery of sorts. Uh, you know, like maybe there's found on the street, like, hey, you're the one millionth customer in line or you're the, you know, one millionth visitor to our fair city. You get to be mayor for the day. Here's the key to the city. Here's this robe. Uh, we're going to have a parade in your honor later tonight. And clearly this is setting up something where like the mayor is about to be assassinated or, you know, there's something about them taking this boon, which makes them the target of something else. So I don't have a strong thing here. I think we're going to need some more cards for me. But I yeah. like the idea of the of the players being given something they haven't earned, knowing that it's going to cost them more later. But I do like the idea yeah. of, a, of something turning into a box of snakes, because that's just funny also. <laughs> uh, 
All right, so let's move on and see uh, if something else will, uh, will adding to that will help us out. Okay. Uh, all right, so our next card here is Paladin's Shield. Sorry, I'm having a hard time finding this. Uh... Apparently, the apostrophe is an issue. Let's see if that finds it. There it is. There it is. Okay. So, Paladin Shield is an artifact, but it's a it's a white artifact. Like when I played Magic before, artifacts were always monocolor like gray so this whole colored artifact thing is something i'm to it it's a flash which means it could come outside of normally when you can cast these spells so you can cast on the other other opponent's turn cast it as an instant that type of thing when paladin shield enters the battlefield you attach it to creature you can control usually artifacts have a casting cost and then they have an equipment cost which this one does but when it's the first time you cast it, if there's a creature on the battlefield, you can attach it as part of the casting process. Uh, the equipped creature gets plus zero, plus two, which means it doesn't add to its attack value, but it does add to its defense. Uh, and the image is of um, like a resplendent knight in shiny armor with this big shield. It's got a glove on it. It kind of looks like the Infinity Gauntlet to me, but it's uh, not that color. And it's got like an eye, which probably is like a faction in D&D and Forgotten Realms I'm not familiar with. Um, it's one of the gods. Oh, I can't think of it. I've only read a few of the Forgotten Realms books, but one of the gods has the gauntlet as his symbol. Okay. Somebody will tell us. I'm sure, yeah. Who. Someone knows, but not the two of us. We're ignorant. All right, so <laughs> what do you think here? Is the Paladin Shield the unexpected windfall? Maybe it's like an heirloom that was gifted, or it's like a, a an item from a fallen hero that somehow gets passed to our characters, or it could be something completely different. What, what are you thinking here? Uh, my first thought was because it's directly tied within a god, with a god, that's what the party's trying to rescue so to speak from the bad guys okay maybe the bad guys are going to sacrifice this in some sort of ritual which will weaken the god and strengthen them um, it, maybe it's the main artifact that sits in one of the biggest churches in the town uh, i'm thinking kind of like indiana jones and the temple of doom you know the rocks it's mm -hmm. just a little rock that sits there maybe this is what the town were not worships but uses as their kind of idol and without it the town feels something bad will happen to them so the party is you know tasked to go retrieve it mm -hmm. or it could be something even grander like this is the king's shield that somebody stole right and they're tasked to go get it so i think for me um i want to kind of combine those two and say that so whatever recognition award contest that our, our heroes have won uh, or one of them has has won that this is sort of the prize like this is this it's a magical heirloom like the you know the person who founded this city defended it against you know demons from out of space and out of time whatever and when they died this has been like a centerpiece that's kept in like the central church or you know a tomb and mm -hmm. once a year a you know a, a hero is is nominated and they they get to wear that hero's armor and carry their shield and it's like this symbolic gesture that for you know one day a year 
it's almost like that hero is back in the world and it's all very ceremonial like normally the only thing they have to do is like you know shake some hands and kiss some babies they you know they go through the parade but because this is a D&D adventure something's going to happen later and maybe this is all set up kind of on your idea that someone wants to steal it so they want our heroes to have it so that it'll be it'll come out of its protective place for this day but I like the idea right now that that our heroes, one of them is chosen for some reason, hereditary lottery to be this symbolic hero. And part of that is they get to carry this shield around and maybe that's the target of the bad guys or, or maybe it's just the, the fact that they get to because I do like that as a setup. Like normally you don't have to do anything. You're just like, a you know, this uh, symbol, but something's going to happen on this particular day where like the dragon shows up. And, well, you're the one in the armor, so you get to be the one that gets to fight the dragon. So, sorry about your luck. All right. Anything else before we uh, check out their next card? I kind of like that. Maybe the shield is what can stop the dragon's breath. Mm. I feel like there was a movie where somebody hid behind a shield. but That could have been years and years ago. But Anyways, okay. something along those lines. All right. So, our next card here is Bull's Strength. Well, that sounds familiar. Yeah, I think... I don't think this is a... I do think this is a card that we probably have seen. Well, except again, these apostrophes in this search function apparently are a problem. Yep, I just typed in bull. So I typed in bull and it's not finding a bull rush. Keep going. Bull strength, there it is. All right, so this is the green card. It's an instant. Uh, target creature gets plus two, plus two, and gains trample until end of turn, and then you untap it, which is a thing of magic where if you're tapped, you can't defend. Um, the flavor text is, as the iron bars of the portcullis parted like reeds, the defenders of the keep suddenly felt much less secure, and the image shows uh, a warrior uh, sort of breaking through again like a portcullis. Uh, like it was nothing. So again, like reads. Basically, the flavor text tells you what we're seeing here. Uh, so this is a, an instant you cast on a creature that pumps it up, both attack and defense, and also gives trample. Trample and magic means that um, any excess damage will go over past the defender. So normally, if you have a 10-10 creature and I block it with a 1-1, you kill my creature, but the 10 damage stops. In that case, the 9 extra damage would come over and still hit you. So it's like a an, an effect. So how do you think this bull's strength plays into our story so far right off the bat i like the whole iron bars parting i like that flavor text mm -hmm. i might even steal that in a way that's how the big bad guy is going to walk into town mm -hmm. he's going to rip the bars open the trample is going to come into effect when he he uh, casts a spell or whatever defeats one of the you know npc defenders who knocks him into the next person who then takes damage and two of them drop you know unconscious or whatever and the rest of the defenders of the keep basically look at the party and go we're out we mm -hmm. can't deal with this you're it good luck yeah yeah i, I, think I that... like that image of the bad guy coming in and doing that would be a really good descriptive way of setting the tone yeah i, I agree i think this ties in what i've already said that that our heroes, at least one of them, has been given this honorary title for the day, that they're in this resplendent armor. And then on that day, something, some someone shows up 
that has to be dealt with. And because our characters ha- are the chosen one of the week or the day or whatever, they're the ones that are by default the, the, the chosen one to fight this. And this is just typical bad guy, bad girl energy where they come into town and the the NPCs are, you know, again, fell like reeds um, or chaff, mm-hmm. weeds, whatever, to the scythe. And, you know, literally like maybe the heroes will go there the bad guy or bad girl has already left, but they will see that the the bars were ripped apart. There'll be, you know, a bunch of victims there. Just, you know, typical movie stuff where it's going to show a strength that maybe isn't actually there in the final battle. But the, the, the view of it is that, wow, this thing is so much more powerful than we are. We are in trouble. Yeah. I like that description. All right. Uh, our next card here is Veteran Dungeoneer. I'm hoping that veteran will find it. Well, it definitely won't if you spell it wrong, like I just did. There's a bunch of veterans. All right. So the veteran dungeoneer is a white creature card. It costs one white and three other mana. It is a human warrior. When veteran dungeoneer enters the battlefield, venture into the dungeon. This is a new mechanic as well, I think, for Forgotten Realms, which I'm actually a really big fan of. There are three different dungeons. Uh, the Dungeon of the Mad Mage, the Tomb of Horrors, and another one I can't think of right now. And each room does something, like gives you a bonus. You get to scry, you get to draw a card, you get to give a creature a, a, a negative or something like that. And as you go in, the first time you go into the first room, and then usually there's a options like the from the first room there might be two options you can pick one and then from those two there's a one option type of a thing so every time you go into the dungeon it's some sort of bonus that you can use um the flavor text her tales of glory light of fire and the souls of the next generation of adventurers and the um, artwork shows a warrior which i'm guessing this is the mouth that's in that dungeon in Waterdeep, like I can't remember right now, but there's like this famous well that leads into the Underdark in this uh, yes. tavern that everyone ventures into. So I'm thinking that's what that is. This this adventures up on the well lip and like regaling them with their past adventures because they have gone into these dungeons. And again, as the flavor text kind of implies, is in encouraging uh, the next group of heroes to maybe go in as well. Uh, so how do you think this plays into the stories that we're building so far? I like where you were just going. Maybe, you know, they're they're picked to, you know, be the mayor or whatever for the day. And part of the sales pitch to them is they talk about the last person that did that was this veteran that did mm-hmm. great deeds and, you know, building them up on par with this great, you know, adventurer from the past. I think it'd be kind of neat to build the party up with that and kind of get them feeling a little confident about themselves. And mm. then the bad guy comes in ripping gates apart and <laughs> smiling at him and right. you know, dripping venom from his teeth or whatever. Yeah. I, I think this is a, a role play encounter. I think this is a very, yes. again, this, this is one of those, like in my mind would be like the second part of an option of, you know, what are you going to do now? And one of them might be, well, let's do some research. Who was the last person that was chosen for this honor or who was the last person who fought that particular bad guy. Maybe this is a bad guy that cycles like every 20 years they show up or every five years, whatever the case may be like cicadas every 17 years. And so you go to the veteran dungeon, the person who did this last time and they are this like resplendent hero, but actually 
they're like a coward or they're they're not even that person. That person died and, and they're like, I just agreed to say I was that person because they didn't want to terrify the, everyone in the city. But no, the last person to wear that armor was murdered, you know, easily. So you could play it for laughs or you could play it kind of serious based on like, you know, what is the party you're in the adventure with? What, what do you think would play best for them? So maybe they could give them actual information that would give them like a mechanical benefit against the bad guy. You know, you learn some secret that will weaken them. So you get like a bonus on a certain role or you get a magic item or you get some sort of mechanical benefit if you choose that route in our little, you know, puzzle box sort of thing. Like, you know, if you decide to go this way, you get a, a mechanical benefit in the final fight. Um, and it can either be because it's a comedy bit or it can be like a serious thing. Like, no, th- you know, this is what you need to do. So yeah, I, I definitely see this as a fun role-play scene that could be optional in our adventure, but would be a benefit if they take take it or not. Yep. You could also throw in that the this veteran knows where the item is that they need to defeat the big bad guy, and this is who leads them to you know, a small dungeon that they have to go oh, to yeah. to get it. Maybe this is where they, you know, he tells he, you know, he or she tells them, hey, go to this cave find the paladin shield that's the only way to defeat the big mm-hmm. bad guy or yeah i mean and with that or if you want to still do like the paladin shield as part of the 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 boon mm-hmm. there could still be yes yeah, here's a small dungeon you need to go through so if you want to have a little bit of a dungeon crawl you know a two or three encounter thing there is still something inside so that mechanical benefit could be the item inside maybe it's the sword that goes with the shield or maybe it's the real shield the one that you you have is like the the display version it actually isn't anything here's where the real one is hidden or kept secure type of a thing and you you could even have it more fun and this is the the crotchety old veteran that tells you the truth of what's really going on it kind of throws your crappy shield down and stomps on it. So yeah. you need to go get the real one. Right. Here's where it is. Like you're like, I have this magical shield and they just walk up and they like pop it against their head and break it in half and like, no, <laughs> you have paper mache. You're going to die. Let me help you. Yes. <laughs> All right. So our next card is you come to a river. Uh this is a blue instant. Uh, when you cast it, you have the option to either A, fight the current, return target non-land permanent to its owner's hand, or find a crossing, target creature gets plus one plus zero until the end of turn and can't be blocked this turn. And the image shows a group of adventurers, so it looks like we have a halfling, maybe a ranger, uh, it looks like a dragonborn paladin maybe, and uh, like maybe a human priest or cleric, and they're either at a river um again so they're going to try to wait across it against the current or they're going to wait and find another way across it um so any anything in this card inspiring you with what we have so far uh looks like an ambush point to me Mm. you're coming across the river any player knows if the game master takes time to go here's this treacherous river time to roll dice Mm -hmm. you're like well the lower i roll the more likely i am to die you know, build that little scene up. And, and maybe this is where you have some new players that don't know the system real well, and this is their little introduction to combat. Right. Maybe they've got to fight you know, some sort of little river monster that pops up. Or you could even throw in something that doesn't belong there to give them a clue as to what the bad guy is. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a river. They find a, a shark in there. Well, why is a shark in a river? They live in the ocean. Right. 
you know, maybe that's a clue to them. Something like that. Um, I think this could be a puzzle encounter too, like more like a skill challenge skill rather than combat again based on the players do i think they would enjoy a combat or do i think they enjoyed a puzzle mm -hmm. so again i would take this more like an indiana jones sort of like there's a rope bridge across a ravine that is has either been cut or as they're crossing it becomes cut uh, to give them a little bit of like a role play slash puzzle like well how do we get across now to let the you know maybe someone shoots an arrow with a rope attached and they climb across it somebody maybe someone has like an ability that lets them do something um so i do like the idea of having a quick combat if if your players are mm -hmm. leaning that way but i i would probably come to the table with this in my back pocket as a, a skill challenge encounter to let them role play and use their skills to see if they can get across it doesn't have to be a river per se some sort of you know, barrier it could be a wall, it could be a ravine, it could be it could be a river. Um, so yeah. I would probably, you know, probably one I would have in my back pocket prepared one of two ways. I have a couple of creatures that I could throw in if I want to have an ambush, or it could just be that that sort of challenge, um, which I think kind of fits the theme that the card gives you two options. I would have two options: is this a combat encounter or is this a skill challenge? But I like it. Makes I sense. like it a lot. Okay. So our next card is a dueling rapier. Hopefully I spelled that correctly. Yes, so this is a red tinged artifact. Uh, is an equipment, it's a flash again, so you can drop it in uh, outside of the normal sorcery type. Uh, when dueling rapier enters the battlefield, attach it to target creature you can, can you control. Equipped creature gets plus two plus zero. It has an equipped cost of four, so if you don't attach it initially or later, you need to attach it again. It costs you four mana. Costs one red to equip. And the image shows it looks like a, a female human uh, left-handedly holding out this resplendent rapier, uh, laughing and smiling um, in like a cityscape. Uh, so I think maybe. This is the other half of uh, or the Paladin Shield is one part of what they have to get. Maybe this is the other because they, mm -hmm. they balance each other off. One's plus zero, plus two. This is plus two, plus zero. So maybe this is what they find in the dungeon that the Dungeoneer sends them on. Or it's another, like maybe against a side quest sort of thing. They don't have to go after this. But if they do, then they will get a magical weapon that they can also use in our final showdown with our, our big bad. Um, could also be maybe... Um, like a an optional encounter where they fight someone who just wants to test their metal so it's like a you know to first blood situation to first strike uh so you could have this like you know outrageous character almost like uh anigo montoya maybe from princess yeah. bride that's just a fun role-play encounter they just want to test their metal against our heroes Again, if you're trying to teach people combat, maybe this is a one-shot for new players. Everyone gets to fight the the dueling rapist. I almost said rapist. Jesus Christ. Uh, the dueling... Um, <laughs> rapier. Rapier. What, I guess duelist. The duelist. Yes. Um, everybody gets you know a couple rounds against them to test their metal as a way to learn how combat works. So what are you thinking here? I, I went kind of surprising a little silly with it when you just said dueling rapier i just pictured a floating rapier that comes up to just taunt the party and wants to duel one of them <laughs> i don't know why that's what popped in my head i i pictured more of a dancing sword but mm -hmm. <clears throat> similar concept though of uh, once you defeat the little rapier that's dancing it becomes the second artifact you need to defeat mm -hmm. the big bad guy 
No, I, that could be sort of a combination where it's a, like an intelligent weapon because it's a one shot. Who cares? And so they have yeah. to go and find it in the dungeon, but they can't just claim it. You have to earn its trust or whatever. You have to earn the right to to wield it by defeating it in combat. So you you treat it as a as a weapon that you know it has a personality. It's taunting you, and you have to fight with it, and you have to like you know survive so many rounds without getting hit, or you know you got to like. Let's say you you set the armor class at twelve until you get a fifteen or higher, or until you get a seventeen or higher, you know, and yeah. like really get a good hit on it doesn't value your skill. Uh, so the first player to get that level of attack, it like succumbs to and says, "Okay, you're worthy of me." And now they have a magic item because probably this isn't a one shot with one character. You probably have a party of adventurers, so maybe yeah. everybody's going to get a magic item before it's said and done. And you you could even go instead of defeating it in combat. If it's an intelligent weapon, maybe it's just looking for its intellectual equal. And now you have a little duel of wits. Mm. Again, depending upon your players, that could be fun. Right. Who who can have the wittiest little comeback or, you know, whatever little role-playing encounter could be fun. Like I said, I went silly with, like I said, I, I pictured the dancing sword. No, I, again, I actually, I'm leaning into that. I think that's the better option. I think it's a, it's a flying sword. And again, this being a one-shot, I would have it is either an, a, combat encounter or a role-playing encounter based on how i think the players are you know what they're leaning towards or maybe even individual characters if i have Mm -hmm. someone i think would enjoy a role-playing encounter that duel of wit then maybe that's what it will be and if there's a different character that i think you know would just really think a a magic sword is awesome then i'll give them the combat encounter that they can earn it but either way i think this is a magic item that our characters will will come upon and have the chance to bring into their arsenal for that final combat against our our big bad all righty next card here is deadly dispute or yeah deadly dispute So this is a black card, one black mana, one colorless to cast. It's an instant. As an additional cost to cast this spell, you sacrifice an artifact or a creature. Uh, You get to draw two cards and then create a treasure token. And then our um, flavor text here is, that's a pretty ring. Trade you my knife for it. And the image shows what looks to me to be like a halfling dressed in dark leathers with her hood up sort of admiring uh, some some token they've just taken off what appears to be a dead body, like a, a ring or something. I'm actually, I don't have my glasses on. I'm pretty sure, yeah, it's basically like a halfling thief assassin that has killed someone and has taken something off their body. So based on what we've had so far, what do you think about this, uh, this card? How does it fit into what we're doing? I, I keyed on the picture. I, okay. I actually didn't. I didn't see a halfling. I saw a child. It, well, yeah. Well, not maybe not a child, but a, a creature that looks like a child. So to me, my brain went to you build up this, you know, big bad guy as this huge enemy. And all of a sudden, this small, almost harmless looking person walks up going, hey, those are mine. And when the party goes, uh, no, rips open the bars, walks forward. No, those are mine. Ooh. Because now the party is like, wait a minute. Is this this is not a harmless little innocent little child or, you know, small person. Right. <laughs> and then they're revealed as, you know, a demon or whatever 
mm-hmm. flavor you want to put behind the big bad guy. That's just the dis- the disguise. And maybe you play it off that this is now the person that's trying to charm the party into joining them. Kind of kind of the whole, you know, I, I not I'm your father, but more the Sith kind of mm-hmm. mindset with if you join me, we get more power. Just to tempt the party, you know. Got to read the table, though. Some people might not find that as cute as I would or right. as disturbing as I would, I guess. Not yeah, cute, I definitely but... think there's some disturbing aspect there that you could lean into. Um, I think yeah. for me, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep it more of the players have something stolen from them. Mm-hmm. So whether it be an item that they're accumulating, so the shield or the sword or maybe something else along the way. Because in this version of the adventure, everybody's going to get an item. So one person's going to get the shield, one's going to get the sword. They're, whether we get more cards, just like if there's four players, there'll be four magic items. If there's five, there'll be five. Right. But at some point, one of them will get stolen. Uh, you know, maybe in the market square, that's classic, you know, rogue bumping into someone and their pocket gets picked. And so something they get stolen is something valuable. So they could choose just to let it go. Uh, but then they go into that final battle with a little bit less power or they could chase after the rogue, and then we have our classic market chase scene. Uh, you know, where they're mm-hmm. knocking over cabbage carts and jumping through pedestrians, type of thing. Probably go to a rooftop cha- chase at one point. Uh, this is another one of those encounters that I would have in my back pocket that maybe we use, maybe we don't. Uh, you know, I don't know that I need to steal an item from the players, but if we're going through it really fast, and I want to make right. sure that we, you know, for pacing, this is a good twenty-minute uh, encounter that could be all role play. Uh, you know, again, this could be the innocent street urchin that they just convinced to give them the item back, or this could be the deadly baby-faced rogue who uh, disarms them with their charm and then stabs a knife in their gut. Just going to depend on the the players and what I think would play best. Yep. All righty. Like our next item here, our next card is you find a cursed idol. So this is a green card, a sorcery, one green mana, one other mana to cast. Uh, when you uh, cast it, you get three options. You can smash it, you, so you can destroy a target artifact. You can lift the curse, you can destroy target enchantment, or steal its eyes, you create a treasure token and venture into the dungeon. And our imagery here is of an adventuring party. And I can't really tell. I think it's the same party from the other card. So it looks like that dragonborn sort of paladin. Yeah. The, the, so I think that's something I haven't noticed, but I'm guessing it might be the same party that's reflected in all the artwork. And it's very much the like the old DMG cover where it's the big sort of demon statue holding the brazier where the eye is being stolen from the cover, uh, which I really enjoy and appreciate. Uh, but we have a green card, basically, that gives us three options to destroy an artifact, to destroy an enchantment, or to create an artifact token. So how do you think this card fits into our story so far? Whew. Maybe, well, maybe the bad guy has some sort of magic weapon or armor that they're having a tough time one of the party's items they find will destroy that artifact or that equipment Mm -hmm. and they just have to figure out a way of using it maybe it's a bow that they shoot and when they hit the armor enough it sunders it and falls off and then they can actually do more damage to the bad guy right i'm not a fan of actually having them find a, a real cursed idol 
I'm, I don't know. I don't like throwing curses on the party unless that's like the main part of the story. Mm. Just having something minor that, ah, now you're cursed. Ha ha. I, I don't know. Feels kind of like a jerk move. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I'm uh, not a fan of that either. I know there, there's a time and place for it, and some players enjoy that sort of thing, but it's not something I've ever particularly liked. Yeah. Uh, for me, I, I think of this this as inspiring more like a riddle situation. So we have another encounter. This would probably be a, the third magic item that one of our heroes has the chance to get, and it's there's like multiple levels, so you can just take what's offered, no problem, no questions asked. Here's a here's the thing. Or you can go through the challenge. In my mind, it would be a riddle because, again, we're doing a one-shot of a role-playing game, D&D type of game. I think it's classic to have a riddle. And if you get it wrong, you get one item. And if you get it right, you get one item. So we have three options. You have, like, the weakest item that you can just take. You have an item that's cursed. So there's a negative benefit, but it has some positive outcome if you fail the riddle, or you get the best version of the item if you pass the riddle. So you're always going you're going to get something, and you're kind of mm-hmm. again whichever character player you're this is you've designed this one for, or you've sort of slotted this one into, you kind of get to see how their personality plays. Are they the person right. that takes the guaranteed something, or are they a risk versus reward person? We're like, well, I'll try the riddle because I know it gives me the best chance. And I just think that could be a fun little session with that particular character and that particular player and how they want to play it. Um, so I, I definitely like the idea of, of that. But there's always going to be something from it. So good, good with bad, or good, good. Right. In a one shot, most people are going to take the chance. I, yeah, absolutely. I would. 100%. Oh, yeah. Because yeah, it's more entertaining. And honestly, in a normal game, I probably will take the chance. And then I'm going to convince the DM that the lower I roll, the better it is for me. Because <laughs> that's how my dice work. Right, real. exactly. Like, yeah, I'm cursed. I have reverse dice. So ones are yes. nat- or crits for me, 20s are critical failures for me. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So our next card here is Underdark Basilisk. So this is a green creature. One green mana, one uh, colorist to cast. It has death touch. So for Magic the Gathering, if a creature has Death Touch, it automatically kills anything it interacts with, even if it doesn't have enough power to actually do so. Uh, Then we have the the flavor text. See how the statues all have chunks bitten out of them? We're dealing with a basilisk, or I'm a frogmoth. Larissa Clarin learned Warlock. Uh, It's a 1-2 creature, so it's not very powerful, but it does obviously have Death Touch. The artwork, it looks to me like a Tarrasque. Yeah, uh, but I guess it's just a, a lizard's basilisk, and again, it looks like maybe uh, like a halfling warrior is either being frozen or fallen. I'm kind of having a hard time with the orientation here, but uh, so how do you it's think a, this plays into our adventure so far? That is a weird picture. Hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely a weird picture. Um, that is one. I mean, you could build up the legend of this bag, big bad guy with this picture. Maybe that's what they see on a cave wall. Maybe this is the bad guy, or maybe this is what's on mm-hmm. their armor. Maybe that one of that protection we were talking about is that they have like mm-hmm. a poison touch. And if you strike them, they get to strike you back. So not necessarily death touch, but like mechanically, every time you, if you hit them, they automatically get a counterattack against you and maybe that's one of the defenses that the magic items that we give them a chance to get takes away so if they don't get that item 
then the combat's that much harder because it attacks every time you attack, which is a, is actually something I've used in D&D a lot because I think it's a very effective boss encounter tool because normally the uh, action economy of like four or five adventurers versus one bad guy is heavily weighted to the adventurers unless you just give the bad guy a super ton of hit points or make them really hard to hit. So one way to counteract that is every time a player goes, the bad guy gets to go too. Either like a minion goes for them or they actually get to go. So that would be like a really cool mechanical thing where if you have this item, that goes away. If you don't, then every time one of our players attacks, it attacks. And that could, you know, it could drastically change the battle. It wouldn't be like an I win button, but it would be a fun strategy to employ. So that's, I'm leaning towards that right now, but I, I could, could be convinced. Yeah. Anything else from you? I like that. Maybe that's the, the image on the armor is that the basculus image here. And every time they swing at it and they roll low or whatever, you, you see that little phantom image reach out and that's what actually attacks them. Yeah, yeah. So it's not like mechanically they're fighting with a sword, but the armor or this protective layer is actually lashing out and attacking. I do love that imagery of it's almost like a live armor attacking them when they attack yeah. it or miss. And it could almost be like a a magical creature bound to the bad guy or a minor a demon or something like that, depending upon the system you're playing i mean it could be a like a literal pet like a dog that you know heals at their master's side and they fight as like a dual unit so again as you attack yeah. it attacks you it gives it flanking bonuses or something because it's always there type of a thing <laughs> that's neat i like that idea all right uh we will move on looks like a couple other people have jumped in so just quickly if you're new we're doing what we call here a synergy session. We're, we're going through a pack of Magic of the Gathering cards and kind of in real time trying to use them to inspire an adventure. We're probably about halfway through the cards right now, but we will recap at the end sort of what we you know have come up with overall uh, if you'd like to play along at home. And uh, remember, or not remember, uh, if you can think of the Forgotten Realms god that symbol was a, a gauntlet, let us know. I think I have an idea, but... I'll look it up later. All right. So our next card here is Clattering Skeletons. So this is a black creature skeleton. Cost of one black mana, three of any other color. When Clattering Skeleton dies, venture into the dungeon. So this is, again, in the game. When this creature dies, you get to go into the dungeon. Uh, the flavor text, those who die in the dungeon become its guardians. And our imagery here, there's three skeletons that appear to be you know awakened or well fourth that's being awakened by necrotic energy and then an open door to like a tomb with light pouring out so that might be the outside possibly um so how do you think this plays into our um adventure so far wow that could tie right in with our veteran dungeoneer mm -hmm. he was the last one to die in the dungeon oh he's now one of the guardians maybe he's the final guardian that the party gets to but he has just enough of his past life clinging to him that he's actually able to talk to him and give them the clues they need bless you excuse me um that could just be a neat way to tie the two cards together mm -hmm. and also add in a little bit of sense of dread going into the dungeon because you now see the results of what happens if you fail right 
So just I, building up the tension a little bit. Yeah, I, I I do I like that quite a bit. I think for me I would go just a slight deviation, and this is the the group that that adventure was was part of. So they Ooh. did survive. They were the only surviving members, but this was the party they went into that dungeon with, and everyone else died. And so maybe this is one of the the mini dungeons that that you have to go through to get one of these magic items. That this adventure goes with you, shows you the way. Uh, and maybe they don't even go in because again, we're dealing with a one shot here. I, I think we're still solidly on a one shot with this. I don't think we've moved into something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't want it to be a super long thing. But maybe there's something about these skeletons, like some um, armament, some sort of like uh, heraldry, something on their clothing that. If the characters pay attention to it, they will be able to piece this together. So it's sort of like a little bonus content. It doesn't have to be yeah. a big thing, but it could be like a little reward for someone who's paying attention. Maybe there's a line of dialogue that that you drop in in the role play about, you know, um, maybe this is the anniversary of this the adventurer coming out of the dungeon and you know there's like five glasses got five goblets on the table when you meet them, but they're drinking alone to to represent like you know the fallen comrades or something like that because um, that could add a little bit of an emotional weight to that scene go oh okay that's mm-hmm. why they were acting that way that's why they were morose even though they're this famed adventurer all their friends and you know companions died that their fame came at the cost of their you know friends um so that would begin I, I like the idea of it being there for those who want it but it's not something that's going to take up a lot of time at the table if you know, again, the, the care the players aren't really caring. So for me, that's how I would layer that in. But I don't, I don't like. I, I do like the idea of the adventure actually being a skeleton that you have to talk to. Um, so they're still in there, but there's a way that you can interact with them and get the information that they need, or you, you know, your players need. Yeah, because in reality, that'd be really creepy to talk to a skeleton. It would be. I mean, skeletons in general are 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 creepy. All right, so we're into our uncommon. So there's only four cards left. Uh, these are draft packs. That's a new thing for me too. If anybody's getting back into magic, there's booster drafts, or no, sorry, there's set boosters and there's draft boosters. Set boosters are themed. They have less cards. Draft boosters are what I'm used to. You have like 15 cards, so many commons, so many uncommons, and then like one rare type of a thing. Uh, so there should be only four cards left, if if I'm remembering correctly. Um, and this is a land card. It's the Temple of the Dragon Queen. So this is actually um, the one I have is the alternate art version. I'll show it to my camera here, where the card looks sort of like a cover of an old D&D module. Okay. I might actually be able to pull... Nope. I don't know if there's a way to show the alternate art. I don't see it. Anyway, um, so it is a land card. Again, the one I have shows a red, actually it shows, look like Tiamat. Yeah, Tiamat with a bunch of adventures flying at it. As the Temple of the Dragon Queen enters the battlefield, you may reveal a dragon card from your hand. Temple of the Dragon Queen enters the battlefield tapped unless you reveal a dragon card this way or you already control a dragon. As Temple of the Dragon Queen enters the battlefield, Battlefield, choose a color, add one mana of the chosen color. Uh, so basically, this is a, a land that when you play it, it can be any color you want it to be. So if you're playing like a red deck, but you have a little bit of splash of blue, you can bring it in. It'll give you blue mana, uh, that type of a thing. Um, so 
any thoughts here on how this Temple of the Dragon Queen plays into the adventure we're building so far? That's simply what the party's protecting. Okay. It's, I don't know if the Dragon Queen, I mean, maybe that's the main god in the world, or uh, maybe that's what the... I'm blanking on the species, the dragon, dragonborn. Okay, the dragonborn. Maybe that's, this is the main dragonborn temple and they want to protect it. Or maybe the other thought is, oh, actually back to the unexpected windfall. You have to sacrifice something to get something more in return. Ooh. Maybe one of them has to sacrifice one of their weapons to reveal it or to call a dragon out to help them. All right. I like that. Um, all right. So here's my thought. My, my first thought off the bat is, well, this is the dungeon. Like this is the, the, the thematic dungeon yeah. I have to go through, but actually I like your idea better. This is where the final showdown happens. And in this case, the image is, is five dragon heads. So I'm, again, I'm pretty sure this is supposed to be Tiamat, but I would probably reflavor it to however many players I have. So if there's three players, it'll be a three-headed dragon. If there's six players, it'll be a six-headed dragon. And each of the items, you know, that we are going for, each each character gets gets their item, the shield, the sword, whatever, um, is associated with one of the dragon heads. And I really like the thought that this is going to be part of our, our big set-piece battle where in the final battle, this is where we're going to take place, these heads move and shift like in a mechanical sense and will literally breathe like their, their breath weapon, like every round or every so many rounds, it'll rotate and like the green dragon head burst. It's whatever the red dragon, the blue dragon. So you have this environmental uh, effect that you're having to deal with also for your final battle. But if you have the item, then you are immune to that dragon's breath. So the one who has the red sword are, is impervious to this particular fire, not fire in general. So you can, if you learn that as you're fighting the big bad, you can lure them out and go, okay, well, on my turn, I know the red dragon's going to go, so I will engage so that it will fight me. And then the, the red dragon breath will affect them and not me. So this is another layer to the battle. It adds some environmental effects, which I like. And if you have someone that didn't get their item or it was stolen in the market, as we mentioned earlier, and they didn't get it back or they just chose not to get it, then they don't have that protection. So they then have another layer they have to deal with in that final battle of, I can't be in the blast radius because I don't have the cold protection because I didn't get the whatever, whatever, MacGuffin, MacGuffin. Right. I like that. That's awesome. really good because it also allows the players to rely on something else other than just their dice to win the battle. Right. And it also allows you to, to use a very powerful bad guy something that's outclassing them because you have this extra damage like okay, I, you know i roll and did eight points of damage but the fire did eight more so it's it allows you to kind of play with the the power level because again this is a one shot it's cool it's fine to have a bo really powerful boss maybe that really is punching above their weight but you know you have this other way to kind of level things out mm -hmm. all right so we very classic here our next card is just a red dragon I'm going to guess there's probably a whole bunch of them. 
So Red Dragon is a red creature, costs two red mana, four colors to cast. It has flying, it has fire breath, that when Red Dragon enters the battlefield, it deals four damage to each opponent. Uh, the flavor text here, Red Dragons consider the world and every creature in it as theirs to command. It's a 4-4 creature, and our image shows a Red Dragon just marshmallow toasting some poor schmuck out on a desolate field here. Um, so what are your first thoughts here on this red dragon? How are we going to incorporate it? Quite simply, he maybe he is the big bad guy. And then back to your Temple of the Dragon Queen, maybe the, all of the heads are actually the metallic dragons that are different colors that could do damage to him. And now that the red dragon has gotten to the dragon temple, he wants to destroy you know, one of the centers of power for the metallic dragons. Which could tie into the whole ripping the portcullis apart, because I have a feeling a dragon could do that quite easily. Mm. And maybe so, he's in disguise to start with. I, I think for me, I would probably flavor this more that it's a dragon born or a dragon kin. Um, yeah. I do like the idea though of reflavoring the the temple of the dragon heads that they're metallic, um, and that they have you know this this dragonborn has a fire breath. Maybe it's a more powerful fire breath and what mechanically a dragonborn would have in in the game that you're playing uh but i don't, I don't think i want to change up because i really like the story we've got so far so i don't want to throw in too many loops i don't think we need a dragon like an actual dragon in my version that they need to fight as well so i would either flavor that the bad guy they're facing is like maybe a polymorphed red dragon in disguise depending on what level i generally run lower level adventures for one shot so probably polymorphed red dragon would be too much but like a souped up dragonborn or dragon can, I think would fit very well, particularly with your idea of using the metallic dragon for our uh, our big final set piece. Yep. All right. So here we go. I think this is our next to last card. And it is Gretchen Titchwillow. Uh, did not spell that personally Gretchen Let me just try Gretchen see if that'll find it because I think I misspelled yep so Gretchen Titchwillow is a multicolor card it's a legendary creature halfling druid costs one green and one blue to cast uh, they're a zero four creature that has the ability that if you spend two mana and then well four mana total two of any color one green one blue you can draw a card and you may put a land card from your hand onto the battlefield. So it's a creature that magic allows you to get more mana out quickly. And then the flavor here is plant what you wish to see grow. Listen for the stories you want to hear told. So I'm going to say right off the bat, I don't know that this fits very well. And my initial inclination is to be like, mm, maybe we just don't use this one, which is within the rules of the game we have made up to play. But I'm interested if you have any thoughts on how you could use this this character. Uh, maybe that's the one of the people that gives you a magic item to help actually defeat the bad guy. Okay, I do um, like that because again, we we need three, four, five different mini encounters. So maybe this is just a role play encounter that you go yeah. talk to Gretchen, and you have to convince and, them that you're worthy of yeah. their gift. And it 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 shows her along. In the picture along the river, mm -hmm. which I know we had the whole how to cross the river. Right. Maybe crossing the river is her test for the party. Mm -hmm. And once they've actually crossed the river, then she reveals herself and says, well, you've proven yourself worthy. You know, 
with your metal. Now let me see what's in your heart. And then once you show her, you know, whatever she wants to learn, she gives you the next item. Yeah, no, actually, I think that's a, a great solution to use them. I, I like how it ties into the previous card about the river. And you had mentioned earlier, like maybe there's something in the river, like a shark that doesn't belong. So maybe it's like a wounded yeah. animal. And like, that's the test. Do you help the animal? Like it's trapped in a, in a little eddy. And if it doesn't get free, it'll die. So if you break it out, you know, that's her test or their test. Um, or, you know, again, you could kind of lean into your your characters, your players, Maybe it's a combat. You have to fight them. Uh, maybe it's a, a puzzle, a riddle. Maybe it's just like a, maybe it's just in the heart. You gotta give an impassioned speech. Uh, if there's especially if there's a barbarian or excuse me a druid or anything like that in your party, a ranger or a druid, this would be a great mm -hmm. time for them to shine. And you know maybe just even having one of those in the party is enough for her to trust you or them for them to trust you. Uh, so I definitely yeah I think that's the way to go as well as that this is one of the guardians uh, for one of the items that our characters need to find. And it gives us different flavor too, because you've you've kind of got the skeletons and the dungeon as one, and then you've got her as another. So it's kind of pulling in from different elements to help defeat the big bad guy. All right. Our final card here is Instrument of the Bards. And this is a uh, green legendary artifact, one green to cast. At the beginning of your upkeep, you may put a harmony counter on Instrument of the Bards. It has a tap cost of four, three of any color, one green. Tap it, search your library for a creature card with mana value equal to the number of harmony counters on instrument of the bard. Reveal it, put it into your hand. If that card is legendary, create a treasure token and then shuffle. Um, and then the image shows uh, a female, it looks to me like maybe an elf, out in the woods with a harp surrounded by various animals, including a warthog, a bear, a hare, a cat, uh, maybe a like a mountain lion, a deer, everyone just enjoying the music. Uh, so what do you think? How would you incorporate this item or this card into our story so far? Wow. I don't see how that, I mean, that could be one of the magic items. I'm not sure how. I, that's I, my first inclination is that if you have a bard in the party, that's yeah. one of the items they have to get. Uh, you know, again, classic music soothes the savage beast. So having someone with that item, they can, you know, they can cast a, a spell that s slows the bad guy down or maybe they lose a turn or something along those lines. If you don't have a bard in the party, um, then it might not be used at all. Or, I mean, you could still have it. Maybe just having the physical mm -hmm. item on you Um counts whether you actually use it or not or again that could be a fun thing too is if you have like no one in the party's a bard who's the best at playing this like you know and they have to make a skill check to use it rather than a combat check you know so they're not swinging their sword they're trying to strum a, a chord and that's what allows them to contribute because i would have fun with that myself as a player i think that could be a fun way for me to to do like a funny thing but still help the battle rather than you know hitting things with a stick uh but it would depend on the players. Like you'd have to have the right player for that. But if you have a bard, it's easy just to fit it in. This is one of the items that you need to get. And I guess one of my thoughts too with the pitcher is maybe, maybe that harp summons creatures, which could help your players soak some of the damage, but could also allow you to kind of show how the little 
cursed or not cursed, but the armor that he's using to counter things works. So you could add a little flavor in there. Mm -hmm. I, I think that would be neat if the party's not doing well in the combat to have some things summoned out that it attacks to help kind of mm -hmm. take some of the pressure off of them taking damage. Maybe it just summons like a, a phantom creature that fights the the companion creature we kind of talked about earlier so that while it's engaged, yeah. it doesn't get to do that counterattack mechanic benefit. Yeah. I, I was just trying to think of, I mean, it, it, in a combat, how, you know, what are you going to use a harp? Mm. I, mean, I mean, you can always those... just hit people with harps. Like I've... It, it, Well, yeah. They're, they're heavy. But... <laughs> I mean, you could just to inspire your party, but the bard already can do that. Right. I mean, but I mean, you could do more... something where maybe it inspires, every, like if you use in bardic inspiration, everyone at the table gets it, not just one for this for this final yeah. set piece battle type of a thing. Yeah, yeah, I do like I was the, the thematic. This. I'm sorry, I do like the thematic that you know, however many dragon heads we have matches to our characters, and there's like a class related so like there's a dwarven cleric that has the, the sword there's a fighter has or the, the shield the sword a bard so that again i would probably if we have a bard in the party use it that way if not i might leave it out yeah or you could i mean if you have somebody's really good maybe this is what summons or not summons maybe this is what triggers the dragon heads to actually fire the breath weapon yeah i do like that that actually would be yeah, so either intentionally or or maybe there's like almost like a musical chairs things happening in the background. There's just music mm -hmm. playing and a certain time that's when the dragon head fires. Uh that'd be a fun way to actually incorporate real live music at the table. Probably wouldn't use musical chairs music, though that would be kind of funny. Uh, but yeah. to have some sort of music playing and it's on a cycle like every fifteen seconds, you know, or every eighteen seconds, like every third round in the actual game, it happens. Or, or maybe you roll initiative mm -hmm. for it. But yeah, that would be a fun way to incorporate it and actually use music at the table too. If that could be really fun. Yeah. Oh. For a card at first, I was like, man, I don't know what to do with this. We kind of came up with way more than I thought we could. Yeah. Which again, part of the reason why we do this, I think, it's really fun. Uh, so just really quickly, yeah. I'm going to run back through the cards, um, and then we will kind of give our final uh, version, which, you know, again, ours can differ from each other. They can be similar. Uh, but we had an unexpected windfall, the paladin's shield, bull's strength, veteran dungeoneer, you come to a river, dueling rapier, deadly dispute, you find a cursed idol, underdark basilisk, Clattering Skeletons, Temple of the Dragon Queen, Red Dragon, Gretchen Titch Willow, and that Instrument of the Bards. So I'll go first. So for me, this is a one-shot, uh, probably three, third to fifth level, because I like to run lower-powered campaigns. That's just my wheelhouse and what I'm more comfortable with. Uh, I'm going to base it on the number of players, but assuming I'll have three to five. Uh, we're going to start off with them coming into a town. Maybe it's where they're from. I don't know yet, but they have some sort of like celebration where a uh, the person who founded the city, a great hero, uh, they have like a, a, a day in their honor. One of our characters is selected what appears to be at random to be the honorary bearer of the shield uh, of this hero. Uh, but part of this sort of maybe implied magical contract is that they are also the city's protector for the day or for a time period. And it just happens to coincide with this dragonborn buffed out bad guy showing up 
And because they are the chosen one with the shield, they are required to take on this, this challenge. So they have to go on a quest with the other party members. They need to gather these other items from the last group that defended the city. So each character would have the opportunity to, to get something, the sword, maybe just like a magical artifact, the instrument, something that matches their character class. Um, these would be pretty short because we've got to get through, you know, three or four or five of them. So there would be like a single roleplay encounter, a single combat encounter, a riddle, some sort of maybe a skill check. Each, each one's given an opportunity to do their particular thing to be gifted this magical item or this magical boon. The final battle is going to take place in this temple of the Dragon Queen with these rotating mechanical heads of the dragon statue that is going to fire its breath weapon du jour that the players can either avoid or if they have the correct item, they are immune. So if they can line it up where they're fighting the bad guy when the dragon breath happens and they have the red item, then they're immune. Um, the bad guy has either this magical armor or maybe even like a physical creature by its side and every time you attack it it can attack you back unless you have some sort of counter agent maybe that's one of the items that our heroes can gather that will negate that um and then yeah the big showdown happens in the dragon temple where these items are, are working in concert with our heroes to try to defeat them hopefully they win and save the day all right so what about you chris any again i know yours is similar to that but feel free to, to yeah. express the differences i, I think i'd probably run this more as a short campaign just because i don't know if i could pull off all the magic items in a one shot mm -hmm. each little quest so i think if you did two to three hour sessions you could easily get you know seven eight sessions out of it uh, it'd be very similar to yours though trying to get the magic items to defeat the big bad guy and i would probably build it up that the temple is actually some sort of steel to a portal to another realm mm -hmm. and they're trying to release some sort of evil onto the world and the party is thrown into it because they're chosen for whatever reason to prevent this from happening i would even think it'd be neat to start off like with a shadow of the demon lord type setting where they're all just average people mm -hmm. they get thrown into this mission and then they get their levels at each game session so they can build up their power and the magic items will be kind of geared towards them as you go. Um, but it'd be similar with the big bad guy with the armor and something bound to it to kind of protect them. And they have to just find a way of protecting the world because that's what every hero does. That's what heroes do. Yep. That's right. Save the world. Save the world. Awesome. All right. Well, I had a lot of fun. I, I think this one was oh, very too. successful. The The test will be when we do the next one, does it kind of lay out <laughs> the same sort of scenario, even though the cards will ideally be kind of different? Because we've done a lot of these with different sets of magic over the year, and they've always been wildly disparate. And I'm just curious to see if we do three or four Forgotten Realms, do they become samey? So I don't know. Um if anyone is, again, watching now or in the future, I would love to hear your thoughts. How would you have used these cards differently? Were you inspired in a different way? Uh, what would you have done with them that we didn't? Particularly if they go, you know, wildly different than what we had. I'd love to hear it. Uh, so feel free to, to, you know, hit us up when this episode comes out on the YouTube page or uh, on the audio only in a couple weeks. Uh, comment on that episode or find us on Twitter and let us know what you would have done a little bit different. 
Uh, this was a little bit different of an episode. Usually detention lives are structured differently, but we didn't have a third guest tonight. And this is something we've been wanting to do for a while, so we decided to fit it in. Uh, but if you enjoyed this at all, please come back two weeks from tonight, alternating Wednesdays. We should have a special guest then, and it'll be more of our normal loose format talk show, uh, which is a ton of fun, though I enjoyed this as well. Uh, Chris, where can people find you on the interwebs if they want to come chat with you about your design ideas or argue with you about Star Wars stuff? Uh, Twitter's easiest, uh, Burlu underscore Chris. Fantastic. And again, Redemption Podcast, the longest running Star Wars actual play in the world, as far as we know. Uh, nobody's challenged me, so I'm sticking to it. Excellent. Uh, and again, I'm Michael at the RPG Academy. We do this show, Detention, every other week on Wednesday. Every other week on Tuesdays on the same week, so yesterday and two weeks from yesterday, I'm also um, GMing a 13th Age game called Shadow Spawns where our heroes are trapped between a war of the shadow, uh, the, sh the Prince of Shadows from our age in 13th age and the Queen of Shadows from a previous age um, are Ooh. fighting and our characters are caught dead smack in the middle of it. Uh, it's a very fun game. We just hit fourth level. The goal is to go all the way to 10th. They're leveling every third session. So they're not doing... Uh, they're doing incremental advance, but then they do two. So it's one, one, then two, one, one, and two. Uh, so we probably have another... Fifth, I, don't, I can't do the math. What's three times six? 18. We've got about another 18 sessions 18. roughly before we get yeah. to the end. Uh, but having a ton of fun. It's very role play heavy. Like the last two sessions, I think we've rolled like three die and they were like skill checks. Uh, the, it, we ended this last one on a cliffhanger battle, so it's going to have a combat in that one. But uh, yeah, if you like uh, sort of dark stories, not gory, but sort of dark, uh, it's a fun, fun time. Right now, these episodes are not coming out anywhere else, so you have to watch them live on Twitch. Um, they will eventually come out audio only. And then a quick plug for Farm to Fable. It's a Smallville podcast that I'm doing. I'm rewatching the entire series run, all 10 seasons. I'm currently recording season three and releasing them as we go. So if you like the Smallville show or like to revisit it, please check out Farm to Fable. Uh, any last plugs from you, Chris, before we sign off? Um, if you do like Dark... Uh, there's a rumor that Tales of Blood and Stone is going to be releasing here very shortly. And then we're going to be getting together again to start recording more. All right. And then how many episodes are already out? Because I know you guys recorded for a while and then they took a long break. But if people have never heard of it and they want to go listen, how many episodes can they have to catch up on? Oh, I don't have my phone in front of me. There's probably eight to ten. Okay. Maybe. So manageable. So enough to that. whet the appetite, yeah. but not so much that you, mm -hmm. it's, it's scary to jump into. So go check out Tales of Blood and Stone. It's a, it's a Shadow of the Demon Lord actual play. Very dark, though. Adult, dark, very adult, gory, yep. bad people doing bad things type of thing. So if that's your wheelhouse, it's great, it, but it may not be for you. So, you know, uh, user exactly. restrictions apply or whatever. What it was, uh, not. There's a Bu phrase. Buyer on beware. Buyer beware. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, but definitely if you're into that, it's a very good version of that. Uh, so with that, we will sign off again. Chris, thank you so much for joining me. Happy to have you back in the chair with me and I'll see you in two weeks, buddy. See you in two weeks. Right. Bye everyone. Awkward wave. Awkward wave out. Look. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast. We do this show out of love for the hobby and the desire to be ambassadors, welcoming more people into this community. All of our website content will always be free to use and utilize. But there are expenses related to the show. And if you enjoy what we do here, then please consider supporting us in some way. You can do so as simply as rating or reviewing us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. 
If you're going to purchase anything through Amazon or DriveThruRPG, consider using our affiliate links first, and then we'll get a small percentage sent back to us. You can do a single direct donation through PayPal using the paypal.me slash the RPG Academy, or consider joining our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And for a donation as low as $1 a month, you'll get access to lots of extra goodies, including bonus minisodes, invites to monthly one-shot games, one-sheet adventures, and more. Please consider following us on Twitter and Facebook, or join our Discord, where we like to try to keep the conversation going with our fans as best we can, and are always looking to talk and chat more. Or do none of that. Just continue to listen and enjoy our show. Because honestly, that's enough. Thanks. And remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. We'll see you next time. The music used for our intro and outro is Fly a Kite by Spectacular Sound Productions, used under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License.